Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 will be our sermon text for this morning. And it's possible that some of you are thinking, again? And the answer is yes, <laughs> uh, again. So uh, this is our, our third sermon uh, going through uh, this, this first part of Genesis 12. Uh, but I promise next time we're in Genesis, we'll move on. Um, before we read that together, let's pray together. Our Father, we do pray that you would hear us, uh, that you would hear our cries for help, that you would hear our pleas for mercy, that you would hear us crying out to you now, uh, that you would soften our hearts and open our minds to receive what you have for us in your word. We pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on us, uh, that I would teach what is true and right and good, and that we would all receive that from you, from your spirit this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There are lots of misconceptions when it comes to missions. Uh, some think to talk about missions is inevitably a, a guilt trip about either giving or going. Others that missions are necessarily uh, culturally imperialistic, or many Christians believe that uh, God's mission begins in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. Well, this sermon won't be a guilt trip. I hope you will see that missions is not about cultural imperialism. And if nothing else, you'll see that missions do not begin in Matthew 28 or anywhere in the New Testament. This morning, I want us all to, to take a breath and sit back and see the bigness and beauty of what God is doing. This morning, I want to, to wow you and woo you with the bigness and the beauty of God's mercy and with the bigness and the beauty of God's mission. Before we start, I guess there's, there's one more uh, misconception, even to talk about missions, uh, when we see missions as a part of the total life of the church. Uh, I, I'm not sure that we understand what missions is all about. In fact, I'm not so sure the word missions is always that helpful. Uh, the, the word missions or, or mission comes from the same root as the word missile, it means to send. Uh, that may not be the most flattering word association, but you get the point. A mission is to be sent somewhere for a purpose. The problem with talking about missions and missionaries is we think they have a purpose that we do not. But actually, the whole church is caught up in God's mission. And if I were to say to you, uh, where do you find that mission in Scripture, where would you turn? Most Christians, and rightly so, would, uh, again, turn to Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission. And we will get there this morning. 
But it's fair to say that God first laid down his mission mandate here in Genesis chapter 12. This is the first great commission. And here's what I want to look at this morning. God's big and beautiful mission to bless, stated, restated, and fulfilled. So first, God's mission stated. Uh, there, there is a book or a, even a whole course on missions called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And at least when I got the third edition of the book, it was uh, a pretty massive 782-page book. And the first article was by John Stott. And it uh, was an explanation of God's mission from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And one of the things he says there is this, to understand God's mission given in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we can't begin in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We have to begin in Genesis 1, 1. Our God is not a tribal God. He is not a, a local deity. He is not the God of Canaan. He is not the God of the West. He is not the God of America. He is the God of heaven and earth. He is the God who made all things. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Everything is in his hands. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are his people. He made them. He owns them. And so the context of Genesis 12 is God, the creator God. In order to understand Genesis 12, we need to remember Genesis 1. In order to understand Genesis 12, we need to remember Genesis 3 as well. In Genesis 1 and 2, when God created humanity, he blessed them. Humanity as created were a blessed people. Blessing to the nations is simply a given if all we have is Genesis 1 and 2. But then we come to Genesis 3. Sin came into the world, and with it, death and destruction and discord, interpersonal conflict, violence, murder. People began to experience not blessing, but curse and condemnation. So the context of Genesis 12 is God, the creator God, and humanity rebellious and broken. So in order to understand Genesis 12, we need to remember Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. And we need to remember Genesis 10 and 11. Uh, before Genesis 10 and 11, missions don't make sense. We can't be sent to the nations before there are nations. And it's true, God gave a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, to crush the serpent and so undo the curse, uh, but there was not yet a, a mandate. There was no commission because no mission, just a promise. But in Genesis 10, we have the, the so-called table of nations, a, a family tree of humanity. Seventy nations, peoples, places are selected as representative of the whole to give the big picture. And in the middle of humanity spreading over the earth, we have the story of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. And the end of this story is God dividing people into different language groups. Humanity is divided so that they would not unite in rebellion against God. I think at least one of the implications there is, as bad as we are, we could be worse. Just imagine if we were all united in our rebellion against God. And so though we were all made by one God and blessed by this one God, sin has brought curse and ultimately division. That's the context of Genesis 12. And that's the situation we find ourselves in today. I mean, you don't need a preacher to tell you that the world is full of pain and disunity. But it is into this that God speaks in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. 
Now, we've been chipping away at these verses in one way or another for three weeks now, and so we're not going to go into all the details of these three verses this morning. But I want us to look again at the promised blessing. And the word bless is used five times in two verses. And notice the, the progressive expansion of that blessing. Uh, first, in verse 2, God says to Abram, I will bless you. Abram alone is blessed. Second, at the end of, the, of verse 2, he says, you will be a blessing. Now, this phrase here could mean a couple different things, but it probably means that Abram's name would be used as a blessing. Uh, because of God's judgment on his people at one point later in Israel's history, their name had become a, a curse, uh, what Scripture calls a byword. Uh, Zechariah 8.13, God says, And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. See, because of God's judgment, Israel's name had, had come to be used as a curse, but God says there in Zechariah, uh, it would again be a blessing. And so when God says to Abram, you will be a blessing, he means your name will be used as a blessing. So someone might have said something like, may you be blessed like Abram, the son of Terah. So first, Abram alone is blessed. Then as a result, Abram's name basically becomes equivalent to blessing. Abram's name would be used as a blessing. And third, in verse 3, God promises to bless those who bless Abram. Abram's blessers are blessed. So first, Abraham is blessed. Second, Abram's name is used as a blessing. Third, Abram's blessers are blessed. You can see kind of the expanding circles of blessing here. And then finally, in verse 3, at the end, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All families will find their blessing in Abram. It's interesting, when you turn to the New Testament, what Paul says about this verse. Paul says about this verse that in this verse is the foreshadow of justification by faith in Christ. Really, that's what he says. Uh, in the New Testament, we find that, that we are declared righteous in God's sight, not because of anything we do, not because we have kept God's law, not because we have been good little boys and girls, uh, not because we, we gave up everything we have and headed for the mission field. We are declared righteous in God's sight, justified through faith in Jesus. Paul says that is what this verse is ultimately about. He says it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Here's what he says. Paul says, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. When we read Genesis 12, 3, we, we know something Abraham did not. We know where this is going. There is the gospel, or this, this is the gospel, right, that in Abram, all the nations will be blessed. This is God's mission and his self-proclaimed mission mandate. He has set out to bless the nations through Abraham. God's goal beginning in Genesis 12 was not just to bless Abram. It was not just to bless Abram's physical seed. God's stated mission was to bless the nations through him. Now the promise is, is not to bless every individual, Notice, the one who dishonors Abram, God will curse. But God will bless some from every people group, every family of the earth. 
And I want you to notice a, a few things here. First, the, the particularity and the universality of God's mission. Uh, th- there is what is sometimes called the scandal of particularity in Scripture, uh, that God worked in particular times, in particular places, in particular ways. He doesn't work in all times, in all places, in the same way. God chose Abram. He, he didn't choose any of the other 46 million people on the earth at the time. God doesn't speak to you and me the way he did to Abram. And there is something scandalous about this, right? Why would God work in this way? Part of the answer is that God works when he interacts with us in in history, in time, in space, condescending to us, time-bound creatures. And so his work takes on such characteristics. Time and people are particular. When God relates to time and people, he does so in particular ways. But God's relating to a particular person, Abram, at a particular time, at a particular place, does not mean that God has abandoned everyone else. There is a universal dimension to God's work. And and I don't mean by universal that everyone will be saved. Clearly, this passage excludes that option. Him who dishonors you, God says, I will curse. But I mean that God's work, while being through particular people, is for all kinds of people people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I want to point out as well at this point, though we'll come back to this, that clearly God's mission here is not to westernize the world. Sometimes people critique missions for just that. Sometimes missions have been that. But that's not the goal of God's mission given to Abram. God doesn't want to westernize the nations. He wants to bless them. And he wants to bless them through Abram and Abram's seed, who is Jesus. Now, we will see this hinted at in the rest of the book of Genesis as we we go through it. Those who bless Abram and his children are blessed. Those who curse Abram and his children will be cursed. Uh, We we see this in, in the book of Exodus. Egypt dishonors Israel. God curses Egypt in the ten plagues. In Psalm 2, we have the nations setting themselves against God's king, and the threat is real that they will be crushed with a rod of iron if they do not honor God's anointed one. We see this in miniature in Israel, here and there in pockets and people. Rahab blesses the spies who spy out the land, and she is blessed by inheriting the land. Ruth, the Moabitess, is part of the nations who is blessed by being a blessing to Naomi. Here and there, we have snippets and stories, hints that God is fulfilling his purposes But it is always small. And by the end of the Old Testament, it's hard to walk away without the impression that Israel has not been a blessing to the nations and that their presence in the world from an outside perspective was insignificant. Which brings us to our next point, God's mission restated. When we get to the New Testament, God's people are a conquered people. They live under the rule of Rome. They they didn't have a, a king on the throne for generations. And as we turn to the New Testament, the first verse of the New Testament mentions Abraham. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. A child of Abraham has come on the scene. Perhaps the promises are not yet over. Maybe there is more to come. Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, rightful king of Israel, comes, suffers, dies, and rises from the dead. He defeats the greatest enemy of God's people, not the Roman army or the Roman emperor, but the heart of sin. 
Jesus comes as the Jewish king, and he conquers. And after his resurrection, what does he say as the conquering king, as the offspring of Abraham? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus uh, came and said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Jesus there is shown to be the, the conquering king who has received the promise of Abraham to inherit the earth. And God's promise to Abraham was nothing short of the whole, whole earth. Again, Paul puts it like this in Romans 4.13. He says, the promise to Abraham and his offspring was that he would be heir of the world. Well, now Abraham's offspring has become heir of the world. Jesus, given all authority in heaven on earth. And so Jesus continues, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus came to bless the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice God promised Abram that he would bless the nations through him and ultimately through his seed. And then Jesus, seed of Abraham, has risen from the dead to fulfill just that promise. Now, now there's a difference here. Uh, there is something more to the mission mandate in Matthew 28 that goes beyond the mandate in Genesis 12. Abram was never called to go to the nations. Uh, Israel was to be a light where they were in the promised land. Despite the fact that go in the Greek of Matthew 28 is not an imperative, uh, and so many would say it should be translated as you go, make disciples, uh, even without that imperative, it's absolutely clear from the New Testament that the disciples were only to wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the Spirit, and then they were to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's mission has not changed. He is determined to bless the nations through the seed of Abraham. And God sent Jesus on a mission to do just that, to die for sin and rise for our justification, to break the power of sin and bring new resurrection life. So Genesis 12, we see God's mission stated. In Matthew 28, we see it restated. Go to all the nations and make disciples. Finally, uh, let's see God's mission established and fulfilled. You know, in the book of Acts, uh, in fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, Jesus sends the Spirit who will bring all the benefits of Jesus' work to the nations. And uh, again, make no mistake, the gift of the Spirit is the fulfillment, at least the down payment of the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. Again, Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And Peter put it like this on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He said, this Jesus God raised up, and of this we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus has come to bless the nations as the seed of Abraham, and he does that by offering us all the promises given to Abraham, all of which we can have now by way of the down payment of the Spirit. He is the first fruits, the, the foretaste, the appetizer of things to come. On that day of Pentecost, you may remember people from every language under heaven heard the gospel in their own tongue. 
Babel began to be undone. The nations were being reunited in the church. The apostles headed by Peter and later Paul head out to the nations proclaiming Christ, the seed of Abraham, so that in him all nations would be blessed. And they go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They bring the blessing of Abraham to the nations. They wrestle with what that means for Gentiles in Acts 15 and uh, Paul eventually spells that out in the book of Galatians and Ephesians showing that God has made the two, Jew and Gentile, two distinct peoples, two nations. He has taken the two and he's made them one in Christ. So we are no longer two, Paul says, but one new people in Christ. Now we still live in a day of pain and disunity. Not everyone has heard of Christ and many who have do not honor him. Put in terms of Genesis 12, we know that those who dishonor him, God will curse. But there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Uh, Revelation describes it like this in Revelation 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God desires to bless the nations through the seed of Abraham. God will bless the nations through the seed of Abraham. Not every individual, but every family, people group, ethnicity, tribe, tongue, and nation will be blessed in Jesus. I, I want to point out again that the goal is, is not to westernize the world. Sometimes people critique missions for that, and sometimes missions have been that. But that's not the goal of God's mission given to Abraham. Notice every nation, tribe, people, and language stand before the throne. They haven't lost what we would call their, their cultural characteristics. They still have different languages and are from dis distinct nations, tribes, and peoples. God doesn't want to westernize the nations, but he does want to bless them. He wants to forgive their sins in Jesus. He wants to reconcile them to himself. He wants to make all things new. Our job wherever and whenever we are, whether as, quote, missionaries around the world or as people who are sent right here, right now, is to so speak and serve that we will be a blessing, to show and tell Jesus to the nations around us, and to offer the praise that people of this time and place ought to offer, to, to show the world around us how they, in their culture, nation, people, group, language, whatever, ought to lift up praises to the one true God. And in so doing, we are caught up in God's mission to bless the nations. God's plan for the nations began with Abraham, climaxed in Jesus, and is now carried out uh, through the church as we seek to bless the nations by pointing them to Jesus, the seed of Abraham. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would increasingly give us a clear sight of your purposes and your plan in your son, Jesus. We pray that we would marvel at that, that we would delight in that, and that you would allow us to participate in that to your glory and honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.